You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We need to recognize and appreciate the history behind the Bears' 1936 throwback uniforms they're wearing Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings. Welcome into the Locked On Bears podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Cox, and I'm here to bring you your daily Chicago Bears news and analysis. Today, we're taking another look at NFL history, turning our attention back to the 1930s, the era from where the Bears' alternate jerseys are coming from, and some of the unpleasant and uncomfortable history that comes with that era and the jerseys the Bears are wearing. The team has addressed it multiple times this week, really doing a great job of taking what could be a negative and making it into a positive thing for the community and for moving all of the NFL forward. So the jerseys the Bears will be wearing for this first matchup with the Minnesota Vikings were a replica of a jersey they only wore for one season back in 1936. The Bears unveiled it this offseason at their 100th season centennial celebration at the convention center in Chicago. It was a big festivities and it was a rare alternate jersey from the Chicago Bears with some different looks than we've seen in a really long time. But what comes with that jersey is a little bit of a dark past from what was going on in the NFL in 1936, which was right in the middle of the NFL's unofficial but very real ban on African-American players. And before we get too deep into it, I do have to give all the credit in the world to Jack Silverstein, who is a sports historian. He writes for Windy City Gridiron, and he really brought a lot of this to light with an article he wrote back in August, actually, looking at the history of the NFL's ban on black players and George Hallis's involvement in that. And I want to get into a lot of the different aspects of that. A lot of great reporting from Jack and some other pieces that have all kind of come together to lead the Bears to put out a video about it this week and then have Matt Nagy respond to it and kind of address the elephant in the room and, and how they can sort of make this a positive rather than a negative. So the NFL didn't initially ban black players when the league first started going, and they had quite a few successful and, and prominent African-American stars. I mean, it wasn't as though you know they were completely across the league and you know it was still a majority white sport but it was something that was at least a part of the league but sort of as the, even the 1920s went on and the 30s turned around there started to be this trend of slowly kind of pushing black players out and it wasn't an like overt active thing but fewer and fewer black players were really starting to have space in the league into the late 20s. And then as the 30s rolled around, eventually it sort of became this unspoken, not written down rule that black players were not allowed in the NFL. At the time, owners and representatives from the league tried to sort of downplay it and, and blame other things. They talked about maybe there not being enough talented black players to make the league at the time, but that very clearly wasn't the case with some really great players in college football that ultimately had to go on and play in other alternate leagues that were integrated. I believe I saw some reporting that 29 black players complete, competed in close to 10 integrated leagues over those 12 years. So there was 
There was no question that there was interest from black players. There were talented black players that wanted to be in the NFL, but they were not allowed to. And the big push came from the owner of the Washington Redskins, George Preston Marshall, a guy who was pretty well known to be outwardly and actively racist. And it shouldn't be a huge surprise that the guy who names his football team after another group of human beings, a, a racial minority, and puts their face as its mascot is happens to be a, a racist at the time. But he kind of became the real scapegoat in history here for the black ban in the NFL. I mean, he was the last team to integrate because he was kind of forced to in terms of like some boycotts and some public pressure. And even the U.S. Department of Interior kind of threatened to revoke the team's lease at their stadium. But sort of mixed in with all of this, even though Marshall gets most of the blame, George Hallis was around and close with Marshall and friends with Marshall and was one of the other more influential NFL owners and coaches and representatives of this league that maybe didn't actively promote the ban of black players, but clearly didn't do very much to stop it or to fight back against it, at least from what we can tell from what's been reported and what we know about the 1930s. So to some extent, George Hallis was complicit. Now, what that actually meant we're not totally sure, but there's there's some evidence to suggest that he could have done more and was, uh, like I said, a little bit more complicit than anything. That, you know, Hallis was also one of the people that kind of denied there being a ban. He had, there were some reports that he had unsuccessfully tried to persuade other owners to lift it, but there's other things that kind of contradict that. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit unclear there, but Hallis had a lot of influence and he was a guy who would aggressively pursue players like Red Grange, but yet at, during this time, he didn't pursue the great black players of college football. So like, there's not evidence to show that he helped launch it, but he certainly went along with it here. You know, he, the Bears didn't put any black players on their team. They didn't challenge the ban. And even after the, the unofficial ban was over, the team waited six more years before they added a black player. They were not one of the first teams to reintegrate. So it's not that it would be you know, completely any one person's fault, but it does seem like Hallis was to some extent involved, which of course raises some questions about why the Bears wear this 1936 jersey in 2019, given some of the ugly history. But as the Bears have kind of explained this week, they want to recognize the injustices of the past and use that to move forward in a positive way. Now, if you want to see those Bears jerseys in action on Sunday, you can still get tickets to the game with Vivid Seats. With Vivid Seats, you can watch your favorite teams and artists perform in person while earning credit back on all purchases made through the Vivid Seats app via the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. Looking at the app on my phone right now, the cheapest tickets for Sunday's game start at $157, and they've got quite a few different options here for under $200, and Locked On Bears listeners can get a special deal to knock a little bit of price off of that. Of course, all Vivid Seats confirmed orders are backed by a 100% guarantee, so go to the App Store Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Enter the promo code KICKOFF at checkout 
to receive a discount of up to $100. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. And if you want to make that game even more exciting, why not try and win big at mybookie.ag? No one gives you more ways to win than they do with the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sportsbook. Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on, and MyBookie is the best in the business. Looking on MyBookie.ag right now, the Bears are down to two-point favorites over the Vikings. They had started at two and a half, and the over-under is set at 38 and a half points. So expecting a similar close, low-scoring game than we've seen from the Bears quite a bit this season, but if you're confident in Matt Nagy and Mitchell Trubisky keeping things rolling after last week, then log on to MyBookie and win today. Join now, and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, LOCKEDON, at MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. So I'm sure some of you might be thinking, Lauren, these jerseys were worn in 1936, That's more than 80 years ago. It was a different time, a different world, a different NFL, and now we're so far advanced in the future. The world is different, and why does it matter what was involved with those jerseys now? They're not even the same jerseys. They're an adaptation of a past jersey, and we should just move on and kind of forget, ignore, and gloss over what happened in the past because that's over with. And I think it's really important, and I think the Bears have done a really good job of recognizing this and and trying to portray this, of making sure that we recognize the past and ensure that it's not okay and hold someone and something accountable for it. Because people might say, well, that's just how things were back then. It was a different time, and and that's, that's why it was okay back then. And Maybe you can you can feel that way, but then you can't say it's also okay now because it was so long ago. Like at the time, it was not viewed as a problem. That's why it was able to happen. It was just sort of the status quo. So it was okay back then. So then to come back now in 2019 and say, well, it's not a big deal because it was so long ago, then nowhere along the way, was there any accountability for the problem, the real racist ban on black players? If it was okay at the time and there was no accountability then, and we say now, well, we don't need to have any accountability before it because it was so long ago, then nowhere along the way has the issue been addressed. You can't just say, well, in retrospect, it was bad when you're not addressing and no actual accountability or consequences for such negative actions in the past. And just to give you a sense of how it all kind of pieced together, I wanted to play just a a short segment of an actual documentary on NFL history talking about this era and some of the issues and the the quality of the African-American players and what they had to go through at the time. The joy black athletes can express today is born of a struggle that began 75 seasons ago with an Akron pro's end named Paul Robeson and Fritz Pollard, a black man who was Akron's star runner and head coach in 1921. The color line was drawn in 1934. Let's face it, it was the Depression. 
and the first people that always suffer during an aggression are minorities, rather than bear the criticism from the white fans that, my gosh, this black guy's taking a white man's job, they simply ended it. The NFL remained all white until 1946, when Kenny Washington joined the Los Angeles Rams. Washington, who coincidentally had been Jackie Robinson's roommate at UCLA, lasted only three years in the league because of knee injuries. Unlike his performance in an obscure Hollywood production, Kenny Washington played just a cameo role in NFL history. Does this mean another operation on my knee, Mr. Lenahan? That's it, Penny. Too bad I'm not an automobile. Then all we have to do is put on a new wheel. Yeah. Washington quietly bore the burden of reintegrating professional sports with his roommate, Woody Strode. When they got to New York in those places, they said, you can't live with the team. So it was, uh, it, it was awkward to be not wanted, you understand? I told people, if I had to integrate heaven, I don't want to go. Washington and Strode were followed by the likes of number 35, John Henry Johnson, and Tank Younger. But since pro football had yet to achieve national prominence, the black athletes' struggle for acceptance in the NFL went unheralded. In the nation's capital, Redskins owner George Preston Marshall would make segregation's last stand. He used to call me to go to the Kiwanis Club or Lions Club or something at noon. Somebody would all, every damn time I ever went, someone that would ask this same question. Mr. Marshall, when are we going to have some black football players here? He had, had the same answer to all of them. He said, we're going to start playing black players when the Harlem Globetrotters start playing white players. By 1962, it had become a political event, and Congress pressured Marshall to integrate. But only after consecutive seasons in which the Redskins won only one game did Marshall trade for Bobby Mitchell. The old-timey documentary goes on to get into some of the specific racism and discrimination that black players endured in the NFL for long after the ban ended and integration kind of continued and the, the fight for equal rights and equal treatment went on along through, as you've learned in high school and beyond of American history. But I really think the Chicago Bears have handled this whole situation well, especially given I think it could have been a spot for a lot of criticism, and they've really kind of stepped up to the plate and said a lot of the right things. They really saved themselves from some potential future headaches here. And you can save yourself from some potential future headaches with the new Dave app. Yes, Dave, like the name. Dave is the number one budgeting app in America because it saves you from overdraft fees, tells you about upcoming bills, and can advance you $75 from your next paycheck with no credit check and no interest. Get the Dave app for just $1 a month. That's $12 a year, which is way less than an overdraft fee, and you'll never have to pay one again. Dave will help you budget for upcoming expenses, text you if you're spending too much, and if you need cash fast, advance you that $75 in just 90 seconds. Mark Cuban is an investor in Dave because he got crushed by overdraft fees in his 20s, and he wants you to never pay an overdraft fee again. Three million people already use Dave to save up to $1,000 a year in those overdraft fees. That's why it's the number one budgeting app in the App Store. So go to dave.com slash locked on. 
It really helps the show if you let them know you heard them here and then download Dave and never pay another overdraft fee again. It's immediate savings. Go now to dave.com slash locked on. Spelled just like it sounds, D-A-V-E, dave.com slash locked on. Like I mentioned earlier, the discussion on the whole 1936 throwback jersey really started with Jack Silverstein's article from the Witty City Gridiron back in August. But the Bears brought it back to light first on Tuesday night with a video they put out with Mitchell Trubisky, Akeem Hicks, Danny Trevathan, Chase Daniel, Trey Burton, and then Chairman George McCaskey all sort of explaining some of the decisions with the jerseys and how they're going to recognize the past and try and put something positive out of it. I really thought it was a a strong statement from the team that I wanted to play for you here. It's week four of the NFL season, and we have a big divisional game this week. I'm joined here by my teammates on our internal social justice committee and our chairman, George McCaskey. As you know, we assembled this committee last season to address the important social issues within our community. And together with the club, we raised over $800,000 to give back to our community here in Chicago. We're proud of this work, but we still have a long way to go. Another part of this committee is to engage in meaningful dialogue with the organization, league, and our fan base on issues that we as people, not just football players, care about and can make an impact on. As a founded franchise, our organization is glorious, but it's not perfect. This Sunday against the Vikings, our players will wear the 1936 Classic jersey. That was from a time when, unfortunately, African Americans were not included on the Bears or other NFL rosters. Integration of the NFL and the Bears was too long in coming, but we're proud that this year's Bears will be the first African Americans to wear these jerseys. The importance of wearing this jersey goes way beyond this moment. Wearing this jersey is a sign, a symbol for the people that came before us that weren't allowed to wear this jersey. And now on our shoulders is the opportunity to represent not only our culture, but our city and our team by wearing this jersey and being the first African-Americans to do so. With all that said, after much thought and a lot of meetings, we are proud to be the first African-Americans to pull this jersey over our head and take the field to represent this storied franchise and this great city. When the dust settles on Soldier Field after the game, we want to use this as a positive opportunity to give back. To do that, we will be auctioning off select player game-worn jerseys from Sunday's game on chicagobears.com to benefit local social justice organizations we as players have selected. Join us in the celebration on Sunday as we take on the Vikings. We learn from our past and use it to push forward for more growth in the next 100 years. So first and foremost... Those guys are all much better at reading teleprompters than I thought they would be. Now, all joking aside, I really did think it was a a strong message of both acknowledging the past and, and really moving forward and trying to take something positive out of it. And it really was centrally player-focused. As Matt Nagy went on to explain this week, the players kind of came to the team, and it's kind of thought that Jack Silverstein's article actually really first brought this to the Bears' attention. I mean, we don't know for sure, but that's sort of been the speculation there that he he was really the first one to bring it into light, and the Bears have now said something about it and kind of put two and two together here that his article really sparked this thing. So kudos to Jack 100%, but this was sort of a a player-driven thing. This was not the Bears 
PR staff saying, oh, no, this could make us look bad. Let's put our players in front of the camera and let them say something. No, this was player originated. And directly those guys on their social justice task force bringing it to the attention of Matt Nagy, bringing it to George McCaskey, and ultimately wanting to do something about it and wanting to take something that, again, could have been very negative and make it a positive for the community. I think Chicago Bears fans should be really proud of this team. And when Matt Nagy talked about it on Wednesday, he seemed pretty proud of his players too. You guys put out a video last night explaining these throwback uniforms that were during a segregated period. Uh, what is your opinion on how the franchise came to that decision and, and, uh, and specifically your five guys? Yeah, it's impressive. Our, our, our five uh, players on the committee that, uh, that, that brought this up and that started this, uh, is, is, it's powerful to me. I think it's something that um, just we as an organization, as a team, it speaks volumes to who, who we are. I think it's a special moment for all of us. It's a special moment for them to be able to, for all of us to be able to talk about and collaborate about, about this. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just something of, of unity. It's, it's who we are, and I'm proud of our guys for, for doing it. And and uh, you, you get that feeling just talking to everybody when we're in there uh, discussing what's about to go on this weekend with the uniforms, that uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good time, it's a good story, and I think that uh, our guys deserve a lot of credit. Do you think they're appropriate, the jerseys? Do I think they're appropriate? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't – I think what the reason why we're wearing them and then how we're handling everything right now, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a, a very positive story in a lot of different fronts, and so, um, um, you know, that's, that's where that's at. What, is, what was your understanding of when that became an important enough uh, topic for your players to start discussing behind the scenes? And when, I'm assuming they raised some concerns about the jerseys and just how that whole process. Yeah, you know, I, I have, you know, with game plan and everything going on, there's a lot of stuff that goes on on my end, and, and it was brought to my attention from the players that this is something that they wanted to do. So as soon as they brought it to my attention, um, I found out more about it and how we were going to go about it, and I let them take the ball and run with it. And I think they did a fabulous job with it. And you saw yesterday with the video coming out um, what it means to them and what it means to, to, to us. And so it's, it's, it's really not hard. It's about as simple as that, and I, I like that they're doing it. You really just have to give the Bears hats off for handling this just as well as they did. That, you know, even if you don't care about any of this stuff, and I, and I hope you do, and I hope you learn something from this podcast, and I hope you're able to take something from it. But even if you really don't care about any of that stuff, first of all, I'm surprised you made it this far into the podcast. But if you did, the one thing you can take away from this is that this could have been a big negative controversy on ESPN all week, Stephen A. Smith on first take and everything saying, should the Bears wear these jerseys? Should they not? And it would be this talking point and you would get the Colin Kaepernick discussion circled around this. And I'm sure somehow Nike would be involved and all of these different things and Roger Goodell. And it, you could easily see how this situation could have been a big media controversy firestorm. But instead, the Bears got out in front of it, acknowledged the Controversy. I mean, there's some controversy here. Acknowledged the the blemish on the team in the league's history. Acknowledged that there was an issue and was a problem that surrounded these jerseys. But really take it in the most positive way forward. Not ignoring the problem, not dancing around it, but addressing it head on and, and trying to use it as a motivation to be able to do good and to make the future better than the past was. So I, I really applaud 
the Chicago Bears for their handling of this situation. And I, I, I do think it's it's positive steps forward that are player-originated and not just public relations. And don't forget, tomorrow's podcast will be listener-originated. It's your turn to ask me the questions for the podcast. Give us a call and leave a voicemail on our phone line, 312-620-8590. You can also text in questions that way or give us an email, lockedonbears at gmail.com. Or if you want, you can tweet at lockedonbears as well. But the voicemails are the best because we get you talking on this podcast. And it's not just me reading the questions the whole time, but still happy to answer them any way they come in. So I appreciate everyone who sends them in every week. I'd also appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the podcast to keep up with all of our daily Chicago Bears news and analysis. And the best thing you can do to help the show is to tell a fellow Bears fan about Locked On Bears. Because when you share a podcast with your pals, it just makes it that much easier for both of you to bear down. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.